HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian-American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief. With your hosts, me, Bobby Comforto. Just kidding. I'm Zara Tangora. <laughs> and Bobby Comforto. Hi. The old switcheroo, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I was, uh, it was a pleasure to have the show today. It was one of your friends and um, somebody you knew and I got to know, and it was just such a great treat. It was a wonderful show today. You guys are about to have the pleasure of hearing us chat with um, my friend, Paul Manza, and uh, Paul came on to talk about the loss of his mother and um, being present in this very kind of special, intimate way at the end of her life. And it was just like a beautiful talk. And after we wrapped on the show, we were chatting for a minute and I just said that this show felt really special and unique in the way that like, I think it's the most we've ever talked about parenting. And I am not a parent. You guys both are. And I felt like I learned a lot. I always feel like I learn a lot, but I felt like today I felt very much like a student in a really great way and just hearing about, um, hearing about that. And I think in hearing about parenting, whether you're a parent or not, there's so much to like, there's so much mm, empathy to gain in hearing about parenting as someone who is not a parent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think Paul, really talked about um, how, how, not how hard it is to be a parent, but how um, such un- unbelievable expectations of how you have mm. to be so present and how important it is. And he seems like such a good parent too. It was wonderful. He's a wonderful dad and a wonderful person. And Paul just has this very lovely, 
calm demeanor, but also funny and silly, you know? And I loved actually throughout the episode, I was like, I love how he's like laughing a lot (laughs) in a good way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a bright spirited, like just wonderful person. And, um, it was a joy to spend the hour with him and with you as well. And I'm also want to mention, I'm so happy that after a couple of weeks now, you finally decided not to bring soup to our imaginary dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, soup oh, season is over. Soup Bobby, season's over. That's true. But I, I'm teasing you. But I will say that you make, you do make the best soup of anyone I've ever had. Any soup that I've ever had. Thank you. Coming from you, that says a lot. Um, I used to have somebody who I worked with at Brucey who, um, you know, we do family meals in restaurants. Almost every restaurant does a family meal. And often it's soup because you want to make something that's easy for like a lot of people to eat at once. And that's uh, a big pot of something. And I love soup. Soup is actually, you know, if you can generalize it as a food, it's a food group kind of, I don't know, whatever. But this person said they were allergic to soup. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what kind of soup? Like what part? <laughs> what part of soup? It's like the whole all soup. <laughs> so I that must took, mean I hate soup. That probably meant I hate soup. Well, or so I love soup. I would take the soup that we're having for family meal, and I would just simmer it down until all the broth was gone, and toss pasta into it. And he would be like, "This is delicious. What what's in here?" I was like, "Soup." <laughs> I guess you're not allergic. <laughs> anymore <laughs> That's funny. it was funny but i i love soup and um this this show is hopefully going to be sponsored by soup we don't know our sponsors until after we wrap but i'm fingers crossed will be brought to you by soup um guys thank you so much uh for listening we love you um paul also just kind of started off the show by bringing to our attention that the show is meaningful to him and that felt really good um to hear And we hope it's meaningful to you, too. Um, And if it is, you know, just consider leaving a review, rating and subscribing, because this isn't a shameless plug. It's just that uh, that actually helps it reach more people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like we kind of said at the end, um, and we've mentioned it before, that like the grieving process can feel alienating and lonely sometimes. And to know that you aren't alone in your pain and that, you know, there's a whole community of consisting of literally every other person on the whole earth that will have gone through what you're going through at some point mm-hmm. is yeah. uh, a comforting thing. And that's the goal of the show is to normalize and expand the converse conversation around grief. So that all being said, if you do have a second to rate review and or subscribe to the show, you know, to help us broaden our reach, that would be great. And let us know if you'd like to be on the show. We'd love to have you and become part of our processing family. Bobby will make you (laughs) you soup (laughs) and uh, we'll mail it to you. But no, seriously, that's a good point. We'd love to have you be part of of the show. so, yeah, we love you guys. And, oh, if you do want to be part of the show, you can hit us up on Instagram. We are Processing Podcast or uh, email us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, we love you guys very much and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Mom, I love you. You're so cute. I'll see you love later. Love you too, babe. Bye. Bye.
we are here today with friend of the show, Paul Manza. Paul, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it, it's not, I mean, we have a lot of new friends on this show, but when we have an actual friend on the show, it's extra special and very nice, warm experience. Are you, jo- you're joining us from upstate. Are you in Kingston or are you at the farm? Uh, we're at the farm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a beautiful spot. I was I felt so honored to be invited to celebrate my birthday there with you guys here at your farm in Goshen, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was oh. special for us to yeah, get the host. It was a beautiful time. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot today actually about um you know, food and grief as I do mm-hmm. <laughs> when I think about this show. And I was realizing that, okay, so we've known each other for like a, maybe a little under a year. And you're, you and your wife, Adib, and your family, your kids are very good friends with my longtime best friends, Kyle and Alexis. And so that's how we met. And I was realizing, talking about food and grief, is that we have met, come together, you and I, eating, Right. Yeah. Like, so the first time we really hung out, we were, having, we were like barbecuing steaks and you and Adib brought all these gorgeous vegetables from your garden. And we've like spent Christmas Eve together. I mean, chicken sandwiches. We just have had all these experiences like eating. And it was through those, some of those experiences that I think we got to know each other a little bit better and start talking about your experience with grief. And so like the whole thing about this podcast is like the disarming nature of like sharing food together and like getting people to you know be able to even think about grief and I just thought it was interesting how that's how our friendship kind of forged yeah no it was really those are like special times especially this year you know seeing so few people and then um sharing the food and getting to just to feel like I got to know you so quickly and to got and um I just feel so lucky to be on the show. I mean, I like when I I was listening to, you know, I listened to a bunch of your shows and I just felt like, wow, these, these, these two like really love these people. They're like, they're able to to love these (laughs) people. And like that, it just seemed like such a special opportunity to get to talk to you guys and spend time with you. Um, That's wonderful. That's a good way of putting it. We really do love the people that we share this time with. Yeah, I was like, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you have it. I have it. Yeah, Um, for sure. That's that's really sweet. That's like a wonderful... um, That's a wonderful note. And, you know, like, we we do feel like that. and, And it feels... I don't know. There's so many different ways to go about trying to... Um, get this message across, I think, and investigating what what this means, what what anything means, really. But I think when you do it with love, much like cooking or friendship or anything else and authenticity, it makes a difference. And it's good to it's good to know that that's that that's the vibe. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, part of losing my mom, you know, earlier than I planned, <laughs> anyone plans. But yeah. Um, yeah. there was this idea of like, well, now what is it? You know, like she's not mm-hmm. here in this physical way, but like, what are these things that can maybe feel like that and kind of support me in still being nurtured, you know, cause it's like someone told me this idea of like losing a parent, you kind of become an orphan in a sense, this idea mm-hmm. that you like become a different kind of person in the world. And, um, so it's made me think a lot about like, okay, well, what now can, feel in a similar way you know and I think that's what I heard when you guys were talking to people I was that kind of care and nurturing you know um yeah absolutely that's a really it is a interesting way of putting it and Bobby I'm sure you know so much 
kind of more about that. Um, but I can relate as someone who's lost a parent and feeling like that. And it's like, it's a limb that will never grow back. And like any loss or any loss of an actual physical body part or a human being in your life, like you adapt, you learn to walk without, you know, without both legs or you learn to live without both parents or whatever, but it never, you never forget that it's not there. And, you know, it's, it's such, such a primary and important relationship that it feels, I don't know, it, it feels very distinct, actually. Like, I was just thinking about it the other day. I think I might have mentioned this last week on the show or maybe just privately to Bobby, but I've been rewatching The Sopranos recently. And even just seeing, like, Tony, like, interacting with his kids, even though it's in such a different way than I, you know, my relationship was with my dad, I was, like, destroyed for a minute. And I felt like I've healed so much from my, my dad's death. But, like, it, it's funny how just, like, a little thing, you know what I mean? It just takes well, this you. layers. I, I always compare grief to a croissant. <laughs> actually oh. because there's just so many so many layers and layers and layers but paul i noticed from some of the things that you wrote about yourself that you have children yeah is that true yeah two a uh, son that's six and our daughter is two. Oh, that's lovely so i think cute. sometimes when we have children it really helps heal sometimes it helps heal grief because of the love of children but also it helps heal parenting losses too you know, whether we had dysfunctional parenting or whether we had, um, you know, loss of a parent. I think having children, we get to reconsider what parenting is about and we get to, um, you know, in a way, get in touch with our inner child, too. So have you found that, that parenting your kids has helped you heal? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many moments where I'm with one of them or both of them and I'm like, oh, this is the exact moment repeated, you know, and can feel the weight of the difficulty of parenting and the joy of parenting and just that connection that I didn't really understand as a child, like what, how and why a parent would care or worry so much or, um, so yeah, it's been incredible to get to, um, have that healing that you're, you're talking about, you know, it just is like, cause you can't, you know, I've been my, both my wife and I are taking care of the kids a lot, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm the one who's not officially having a job. <laughs> you know, um, I yeah. like I'm taking care of the houses and the farm and stuff. And so I'm with the kids a lot. And um, mm-hmm. I just understand my mother so much more now, like what it means to be like at any time you're the one <laughs> um, mm-hmm. who's. Yeah. Um, you know, taking care. Yeah, for sure. And also there's therapeutically, there's a concept that, you know, when we're parenting, we also get in touch with our own childhood, our own inner child, you know, Mm -hmm. as well. And some of the wounds that we had, because sometimes we struggle in parenting at the very same places that our parents struggled with us or that we had troubles with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, I felt a lot of time when I was a child, like not really feeling so safe. You know, when I, I don't think I was ready to go to school and things like that. And um, mm. we just dropped Baji off to like a school-ish situation, like a farm thing. And mm. I was just like that dad who was like, <laughs> who was like explaining to the teachers. I just was like being way oh. overprotective. And like, as I was driving away slowly, I fantasized 
having a drone kind of hovering over the farm while I was gone. <laughs> that's like my ideal situation is just to be able to make sure. You know? Oh, that's adorable. Um, so Paul, you mentioned a couple of times that you're, you know, you lost your mom. Um, and that was in 2011, correct? Um, yeah. 10 years ago. Is that two? Yeah. 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 yeah mm-hmm. I know. Isn't it wild? We're in, we're in the future. 2020. Yeah. Um, it's weird, <laughs> but yeah, so you lost your mom and how did, how did your mom pass? She had pancreatic cancer mm. and, um, found out about it late. So by the time we all found out it was only another three months or so, maybe a little more. Really rough. That kind of like abrupt turnaround and not just like the loss part of it. I think, I mean, just also the understanding that things can change that quickly and, you know, we can lose people that quickly. It's, it's, I I don't know. I guess we always think that things like that happen kind of to other people, you know, I think when that, that sense of, uh, fragility touches us, it's a, it's a shattering thing. And I think shattering ways we can't necessarily even face at the time, you know what I mean? Cause we have to kind of slowly adapt to the realities of life. But how did that hit you? How was that, process for you from going from your mom being kind of relatively fine to um, having pancreatic cancer? It was really shocking. I mean, you know, just I remember these really like kind of awkward moments, like not knowing how to just like navigate normal things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like what? just like when I going, okay, now we're going to go out to eat, you know? Right. So, right. Um, we went out to this hibachi restaurant <laughs> just randomly because that's where we were, near where we were. And like everyone was acting super awkward and this guy was like putting on a performance, you know? And yeah. then all of a sudden he like did the flame thing and smacked the the um, spatulas together really loud and said, wait, yeah. he said, wake up. <laughs> wow. And I was like. Whoa, you know, because I was having a psychedelic experience anyway, but I was like, oh, this guy is like our new guru for the moment, you know? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's incredible. That's actually incredibly cinematic. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, But just this idea of like, wake up, you know, like this is this is real and this is happening and it's a process. And um, so we really tried to settle into it. You know, I was really pushing my mother to like try to find some uh, treatment, you know, but she had kind of gotten this news that like, it's kind of too late to even try. Um, But I like really kind of like was pushing her to like go, we went to Sloan Kettering. She was like, I don't want to go, but I was like, maybe this is the best. Maybe they have a different answer, you know? Um, I was like, can we go see a shaman in South America? Like what, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. And my mom was just like, after the Sloan Kettering thing, she just was like, let me, she was really accepting. Um, mm. And I think that was harder for me than her. And I don't yeah. know if part of it was she had been working for hospice for a while, for the last few years. Oh, wow. yeah. And mm. so I don't know if she just really knew it was time to kind of, and so she just really like from that point on just was in the dying process um, you know, and three months is a long time in a way, um, to like have the That's news and to be with it and to see what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, you know? 
Because yeah. the doctors are like, well, we don't know how it's going to happen. It'll, you know, because you're, you know, it's not like your pancreas kills you. It's more like right. something else happens. Something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so any, any I have you know, a something else breaks down. I have a question yeah. actually that I just want that just struck me when you were talking about the wake up thing. Um, had you been ever? Had you ever in previous to that been really called to wake up? in that way that you had to in facing that reality. I feel like sometimes those things snap at us a couple times during life. Was that your first time in your life where that call to attention it was, happened? I think it was a couple. I think I seem to be on like a 10-year-ish cycle with that. <laughs> and yeah. it's interesting now because it's been 10 years since then. And then 10 uh, years before that, I um, around then I had like moved to New York and um, started really dealing with my mental health issues, you know, and like addiction and all these things. And so it seems like there's a 10 year, like wake up kind of really revolutionary change and then growth and then indulgence and then addiction and then wake up. (laughs) That seems, that seems to be my cycle. So far, it. I mean, it happens like that often. It's just such an interesting thing that I think, I don't know. Now, we don't all get that. I mean, we all do in certain ways, but not like that moment, like that story, that moment you described of and that like t- t- phrase of waking up. Like, it's such an interesting thing where sometimes you just snap out of like a cycle and you're you know, your attention is demanded to, and all of a sudden you change your perspective. And it's in that moment, you're like, whoa, my life is like going to be different now in this way that like, well, that's I because it's now. an opportunity to wake up. You don't necessarily always do it, but it is right. an opportunity. But so the, 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 crisis, the, oh, crisis as danger or opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, we could stay at it, you know, and feel the danger of it and clam up and freeze up and, and shut down, but it yeah. is an opportunity to wake up. Yeah, it's just That's when I heard that story, I thought it was so interesting because you said you were all kind of numb and the shock of the news and it was so uncomfortable sitting there. And when he went, wake up, I thought to myself that he was saying, like, be in this moment, recognize this is yeah. a, a really supreme moment in your life. Wake up to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's what he was saying to me. And one of the, one <laughs> yeah. of the things my mother said to me during our time, because we spend most of that three months together, like pretty much all mm-hmm. the time. And she moved in with me. And one of the things she was really impressing on is that it just goes so fast. Like she was, and it like really corresponded. Cause I, you know, was really involved in new age things and yoga and all that. And there's this idea of like be present. And <laughs> But yeah. this, I, but actually seeing someone at the end it's not like an idea or a concept anymore. You know, it's like, this is real for her. And I think this thing you were saying about either it being trauma or I forget how you said it exactly, but there's these moments. Crisis as danger and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think part of my mourning process has been like that because watching actually being with her in the moment she died and the time before I really, there was some kind of trauma that I really didn't understand, like losing her, but also my own mortality had never really come into focus like that. And Mm -hmm. I think there was some time after that where, um, 
it just seemed like the opposite because it seemed like I had this awakening. Like I was with her during the moments of death. There seemed to be this like kind of like portal that opened into some kind of other consciousness, you know? And yeah. I was like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, I've experienced one of the few things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I, and, and at the same time, the level of trauma of trying to deal with my own mortality, I think really put me in a tailspin of really not being able, there was a real kind of like break, like psychically, you know, my connection with myself and with my body became extremely difficult. I think, I, I think my psyche was like, no, <laughs> like, no, we're not going to deal with yeah. that right now <laughs> or yeah. ever if possible. But, but totally. then having kids and then being like, no, I have to be here. Like, I, I like literally have to be here or they're going to feel abandoned, you know, totally. and right. having moments where I watch my kids feel like, where are you? And I'm sitting right there. You know, you can be there and not be there. <laughs> um, yes. And having them like look around and feel lost right in front of me has really, you know, I don't want to say forced me, but I've done everything I've, I could in the last couple of years to get back into my body and really understand the mental health issues that have been plaguing me for a long time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a real reason to be your, your best each day that you can be. Yeah. You know, I had, I had did this uh, training once in school that I found very profound and it reminded me of what you were just saying. So it, we had this group of um, students. I was studying gestalt therapy at the time. And half of us were ba played babies and half of us were mothers. So the babies all lied on the ground and the mothers were instructed. There were three groups of mothers. So one group of mother was instructed to be very distant and detached and not present. The other mother was instructed, other mothers were instructed to be very overbearing, overprotective, overworried. And the other mothers were instructed to be very present and so as the baby, you would lie there. You wouldn't know who was coming towards you, you know, mm. but you could feel it energetically. It was the most powerful thing that I've ever experienced. One of the most powerful wow. things, because when the distant, detached, withdrawn mother came to you, you were, I was so scared. I was so frightened and so lonely and so abandoned. And when the overprotective mother came, I didn't have a sense of self. I had, I didn't know, I had no sense of myself. And then when the present mother came, you could feel, I could feel myself breathing and, you know, so it's such a powerful thing you just said, you know, children really? really give us such an opportunity to heal. It's just an amazing thing. Yeah, that's so yeah. powerful. I mean, and the idea of sitting there and not knowing which is coming <laughs> because for <laughs> right. me, the mind game was like, oh, these people are so loving and attentive some of the time means right. that like I had a perfect childhood, <laughs> but, right. but that thing of not knowing which is going to come yes. is I think really, you know, there's this whole thing now about attachment and styles of attachment. Attachment <laughs> and, theory. Yeah. Yes. And, um, it really, you reminded me of that because feeling secure, that's really what I want my kids to feel. I want them to feel confident and secure and like, um, to some extent, I mean, obviously life is full of unknowns, you know, but I think there is something that my wife and I are able to provide where the, the kids know, like home is not perfect, you know, but at the end of the day, it feels safe. It feels clean. 
You know, like there's yeah. a. Um, it's really important. Right, and then yeah. you show up, like you said, you know, awake. You show up as often as you can, and the times that you can't, you you apologize, you become present again, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you but you know, you said some things about your mom's passing that were really interesting. Um, I remember when my own father died, particularly because that was the first big death that I had. I was young, my early thirties, I guess. Um, but I remember realizing because he died at seventy some odd years that I only knew him for part of that time. The rest of the time, he had a separate life. And it really helped me to realize that when we see somebody die, we're only a part of their life, but we're seeing their whole life cycle. So I think that's what I heard you say, that you, you thought about life cycles. That's oh, my so goodness. interesting, we're, Bobby. We're, that's such a wonderful thought. Yeah. Well, An it helps you separate thought. a little bit, too. It helped because sometimes when somebody's dying that we love – we don't want to let them go and we, you know, we want them to stay with us, obviously. But if we recognize them as a separate person and this is their life cycle, we can separate a little bit and give honor them in that way to let them die with us without us clinging to them. Mm. Wow. That like kind of took my breath away. That was really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so for the part of your mom's life that you did know her, Paul, what was your, what was your relationship kind of like before, you know, what was the growing up like? And to kind of tie it to food and cooking a little bit, did you guys have, what was the relationship like surrounding food? Was your mom a cook? Did you guys cook together? What was there any memories um, about that kind of stuff? There was, there was, our relationship to food was, um, there was a lot of like, um, my dad was like a very, very into healthy things, you know, and yeah. my mom was the one who would like give us treats. <laughs> um, so That's there was cool. a lot of like, and she didn't love to cook and she didn't love cleaning up, especially, you know? Um, yeah. so there was like a lot of like eating out, um, yeah. and like that being really fun. Um, and, um, the, um, the, um, yeah, but the thing that just to, to, um, just to what you were saying, Bobby, about that whole life thing, just what I thought of is in those last times, spending that time with my mom, I heard things that she had never told me before. Like she had no reason to keep anything anymore. You know, there was no investment right. in and so for me to actually get a perspective of who she was in those years before me, I had so mm -hmm. much more compassion for her and just realized like, oh, this is a person. She's not only a mother who like did well or not, like mm, exactly. she's someone exactly. who like really struggled up until being a mother, you know, mm. um, that's an uh, important thing to be able to think about people. It's really, really hard to do that with their parent, with our parents. I've, you know, been in therapy for 10 years now and I talk a lot about, you know, my parents and my relationship as many people do in their therapy and their work. And I think it's like a continual reminder that parents are people. Somebody said this to me once, I don't remember who it was, but they said parents are people. It's such a kind of simple way of putting it, but it's, it, I always try to say it when I'm having, trying to have compassion for my own parents and, thinking about, you know, my relationship with them, times that might have been difficult. Parents are people. 
And, you know, because we need our parents so much when we're young and growing up, like we, it's just so hard to see them like that. But when we can, it, it, it's liberating. And sometimes it only comes for glimmers. It's not, it's not just like a total shift. You can't just be, oh, parents right. are people, right, totally. <laughs> I should have thought of this before, but it's a practice. And in those moments when I think when we do have that perspective about our parents, we, it does open up our our hearts in this way that is so essential and so powerful. And, and I think it can go the other way too, Bobby. It is. I was just about to say that, that my best advice that I give people after having parented you is that I didn't learn early enough that children are people too, because I always tell if there's one lesson I learned, it would be to listen to your children, see them as separate individual people that have their own opinions and their own views and their own ways. And that doesn't mean there's not some kind of discipline thing that happened, not discipline, but some kind of guidance and direction, but to see them as people too. So you're absolutely right, sir. Children are people too. Yes, we're all people, but it is hard. People who love people. But look, we can, we have, it is very difficult, those familial bonds, because I can look at Paul and say, Paul's a person. If Paul and I are hanging out and he says something I didn't like or whatever, he has a different opinion than me. I'm just like, oh, he's just Paul. He's, he's a friend. You know what I mean? And, but like with you, mom, or with like dad, or, you know, it's just different. There's this, you have to work so hard to create that autonomy. To break to, the enmeshment yeah. that happens exactly. in many families. Break that yeah. codependency. Yeah, it's hard. To make the enmeshment. But coming back to the, the your mom's passing, it sounds like it was so special. So she moved into your home. And what was, what did you have hospice come in at some point? Or what was that like? They did. We, we had hospice um, help. And um, it was a, an interesting situation because I was living with um, a few friends of mine. Um, I mean, I was living in Brooklyn, but I had this farm retreat center upstate and a number of people had moved in just kind of slowly, (laughs) um, started, um, occupying, you know, they just became my friends and were like, we want to stay. And I said, great. And they would, you know, it was kind of like a very bohemian vibe. And, um, when my mom moved in, uh, most of them stayed and helped take care of her and cooked Mm. and um it was just so special because like you kind of like are friends on one level (laughs) and then that's a different one you know and um and uh, my younger brother moved in and it was really this time when it was just so special because that was the thing that was going on you know it was like everyone took on this project of like family would stop by. My sister came a lot from Philadelphia and, and just like made food and all this kind of, it was like a really felt like a circle of love around her. Mm. And I think it was really healing because she was very much like a loner for a lot of her life. Um, Mm. and I really needed the support, you know, like I, and, um, and it was just so interesting to see the phases, you know, like I just didn't know. I, I mean, even though she was a hospice worker and described all these things to me, she would like became so close with these people she worked with. And um, I learned so much. But then to actually like get the pamphlets and read like, oh, this is like what might happen. This is how it happens. And like, yeah. like, for example, with her, there were three days at the very end when she stopped speaking. Like her body had kind of shut down to the point 
Right. And they're just as like, it's just so bizarre to look at someone, you know, and, and they're in there fully awake, right. like maybe even more awake than normal <laughs> and right, right. can't speak. And so this other kind of communication would happen, you know? And so there were just so many. Like what kind of communication? Just like being there, you know, just kind of like a heart connection and like this kind of, for me, that was the time when I actually could like break down and like tell her I loved her and like was sobbing. And up till then I was like busy talking, taking care. And like at that point there was nothing left to do. There was nothing left to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, just to be. It's beautiful. So I just thought it was so special to to get that time. And I imagined not having that time because afterwards also mm -hmm. we like washed her body and got to sit with her. And my kids were bo like born at home too in the same house. <laughs> but I just like, wow. I just was like, it felt so important. Like all these little moments in between um, mm. to get to understand like, oh, this is her body. This isn't her. Like, wait, does that mean this isn't me? You know, there were all these little like That's a wild thing. Yeah. Um things cuz right. you don't see a body so often. <laughs> Thankfully. You don't. Exactly. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when when a per when a person dies when you when you watched your mom die, most people that witness that realize that the spirit leaves the body. I mean, what whatever we believe, whatever belief system we have, you can tell that it's just a body. You can tell that there's no more spirit in it. I mean, we don't we all have different beliefs of where it goes, but it's so profound that moment when somebody dies. You know, I wanted to um, tell you something. I worked in hospice for 12 years, and so I always had this description of how what the dying process is like that made sense to me. That, you know, when babies are born, right, every day they see a little bit more of the world, right? A little bit more, a little their world just opens up. And when somebody's dying, that whole process of dying, which takes weeks, months, whatever it is, it's the opposite. They keep closing down, shutting down, closing down. You can notice at a certain point that they can't ask you anymore what's bothering you or what's going on. They can't really take in the news or anything like that. And they keep coming in almost like they're getting ready for their journey. Mm -hmm. You know, they're preparing for their journey in this vessel. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what you're describing, that she began to shut down over those days mm -hmm. that she was with you. Yeah. That's a really interesting way of putting it, Bobby. Such a um, holy moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, Paul, you know, you mentioned a bit about um, when your friends were living with you at the farm uh, towards the end of your mother's life and you guys were cooking and, and taking care of each other. Um, what what role did that kind of cooking and caretaking play? Was there anything that stood out where you were like, oh, my friend would make this one stew or how what was the importance of that kind of aspect of it? I think it was mainly just that it was being done. I mean, you know, our friends and aunts and uncles would also bring food that like I wouldn't eat maybe, you know, but right. it just that like yeah. it was being done. It was revealed how essential cooking and eating is and how like if you don't actually don't have time for it, what happens, you know, and if you're a caretaker, right. And, you know, there's this whole thing of caretaker burnout, you know, where it's like you just can't do a good job anymore. And um, yeah. so people cooking and and just providing the food and that moment when they showed up and dropped it off, you, I got to see my uncle or whoever, you know, it was an opportunity to like 
connect. There's a reason to connect, you know, and to feel that people were there. Like maybe, you know, some people came and sat with her more than others and some made food. And I think it was an easy way for people to take care of us. And, mm -hmm. um, and some of my friends were really into like healing foods and like Ayurveda okay. cooking and Chinese medicine. And like, you know, it was interesting to like try to take care of ourselves while we were taking care of somebody else, you know, like how powerful can food be in terms of like, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to think of food as just like keeping the engine going. <laughs> and it's another, yeah. another thing to be like, oh, food can be cleansing or food can be really grounding. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was really, I felt so lucky to be in the midst of people who treated food like medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is it's a whole special. nother like support system. Cause I was really into yoga and meditation and that kind of aspect of kind of being having some um control over consciousness in that way and then they yeah. brought in this whole thing of like well food has such a powerful effect on consciousness and just the way you feel and that was just so interesting to me because it seemed like chemistry at that point it was like oh this does this mm -hmm. my body does this like if there's more yeah. heat or more broth or less spicy or you know yeah, and not and sure. not and I, eating for periods of time. That whole thing too. I was like, oh, I've never oh, really sure. purposely <laughs> been this hungry, <laughs> you know. Totally. Well, yeah, fasting is such an interesting thing too, and what it, the effect it has in your body and your mind, and in such positive and cleansing kind of ways. But you know, one thing that I was just thinking about this uh, situation that you were describing of like how you were all in the in the home with your mom and just knowing what your home is like. It's so beautiful and so it's such a warm and such. It's almost indescribable, the kind of feeling in there. And it has the feeling of just so much, so much soul, I guess, in there. There's so many, uh, there's just, I mean, I, I don't know if we, to use the word vibe, but there are like such vibes in there. Um, and I guess I'm just picturing so many people being in there cooking and caretaking. And I feel like for people who might be even in that situation, being able to be productive and be like, I'll cook. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I got this. Like, I'll make dinner. It's just such a way of, like, participating and kind of showing love and also processing your own emotion for what could be happening at that point. You know what I mean? Like, because that's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be a part of, but also heavy. You know, so I would imagine some folks that might have been with you at that time and been like, I'm going to process what I'm experiencing through, like, producing and, like, throwing myself into this kind of food project or feeling productive in this way. You know what I mean? And, um, I feel like we're in those times when we're losing someone and we're kind of all trying to process big emotions and big feelings and loss and just, uh, you know, existentialism and the whole thing that goes along with like all, the dying process, um, finding purpose can be so valuable and, and just connection through something and food is that thing, right? Like it's like at the end of the day, everyone who's in the situation can connect through this centralized kind of task and product. So I don't know. I would just imagine that 
I'm picturing mm. big pots of stew. Yeah, and <laughs> like quiet <laughs> times in the kitchen, you know, like the chopping yeah. takes a certain amount of time. And yeah, like I think that sure. being held in time like that and also mm. this idea of like sitting together, you know, I yeah. think that there's like, I remember moments where like I didn't want to see anyone and maybe I skipped meals, you know, but eventually yeah. there'd be like, I'd have to sh show up in the kitchen sooner or later and like right. be held by someone metaphorically or, you know. Yeah. Um, and in the kitchen, that's such a gathering place. It's such like a, I don't know. I just think that it's so central. It's like, mm, it's like neutral territory, like coming into the kitchen, cooking something. It's just like this mm, common ground. I think we all kind of have, uh, no matter what else is going on. It's like a, it's like a, meeting place it's a safe place it's a grounding place i don't know yeah you know we, we've we've it. been fortunate to know it that way unfortunately for some kids growing up and things like oh, that the kitchen Absolutely. isn't always a safe place and that that's can be really upsetting because it should be it should yeah. be a safe place that's but, a very good point that's a privileged experience yeah. to have for yeah. that to be the case for sure yeah paul i wanted to ask you what has your grief been like for your mom how would you describe the grief that you've experienced since her or death? I think there's been, um, I think there's been a lot of avoidance. Um, I think that I have, um, not really wanted to deal with it. <laughs> and, and it, you know, I think that it's, yeah, it's been difficult. It's been difficult and I've avoided it. And, um, I, you know, and I thought that's also why it'd be special to talk to you guys because it's like, it feels like time in a way. And some things have mm -hmm. started opening up around it. And I would like to talk to my six year old about my mom. I'd like to mm -hmm. kind of like keep her alive in a certain way. Just yeah, like, just through like the, the you know um so like i actually just moved the photograph of her to a more like place where i'll see it more and things like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. but i've really you know everyone grieves differently right <laughs> but absolutely um, but i sure. you know but trying to not grieve at all i think is a hard way to do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's so interesting. As you were saying that, I was going to say to you, you know, chances are you've been grieving. You have been grieving. It's mm -hmm. not as if you haven't been grieving. It's just you've been grieving in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And maybe it feels like some avoidance. But that's why it's particularly courageous that you came on the show today and that you were that you've listened to some of our um, episodes and that you've, you know, uh, experienced that. But it's so when you say that you'd like to tell your six year old about your mom, I think the moving of the pictures is actually a, a wonderful thing. And I always tell people that um, it's a good idea to just occasionally just move them around because it changes our relationship. We have a relationship with the person that's died. And I think in, in moving the picture is a new way for you to begin to see your mom and talk to your mom and think about your mom. But how do you feel about talking to the kids about about her? What, what are your thoughts? I, I like, I think I like the idea of talking about her I, I don't love talking to my to him about death in general. I just mm -hmm. I don't like mm -hmm. it. Um, but um, I really does he have questions about it? 
Does he think, ask about it? I think he doesn't really ask about her. I think he like, yeah. I think it's like, um, it's kind of like, he just, uh, I don't know. I think he knows that I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Does he ask about I, I death? Would imagine, I would imagine you're right. <laughs> Does Baji ask about death at all? Um, yeah. Does he know? Yeah. The yeah. He's really curious about it. And, yeah. um, I, yeah. yeah, but I don't want to talk the about thing. it, you know, like I've actually told <laughs> him that scientists are working on a cure, which maybe <laughs> was a mistake, but by the time he's older, who knows? I don't know. You know, it's true. They might have a cure for death. Yeah. One of these days. <laughs> That's so um, funny. That's very funny. But it's interesting to me that having been so present in your mother's passing, uh, so present, I mean, to like, not everybody is able to be that level of present, you know, to be the caretaker, to spend time with her body after she passed. I mean, that's big stuff, right? So it's interesting to me in that how also... And without any judgment, it's just interesting about how it is uncomfortable for you to talk to Baji about it. I wonder if there's a part of that that is about um, having really seen what it looks like, what mortality actually looks like in your parent, your beloved parent, and uh, having lost her and having seen it up close like that. And maybe you're actually grieving for yourself and that experience Right. Like in not wanting to talk to Baji about it, maybe it's in having compassion for how he might feel when you pass away someday. I don't know. That's just like a theory. It could be wrong. Yeah, no, I think but... there's that. And I also the thing I hadn't considered about death watching my mother was that she was dealing with her death, which is obviously the <laughs> the preeminent thing for her. But she was also yeah. saying goodbye to us. Like right. this idea that she would never like she was the idea of saying goodbye to your kids. Um, usually thinking of like, well, if the kid goes away, but I never really. So now this idea, I really dislike my own death even more. This idea that these sure. kids won't have me any more and I won't get to see them get right. any older, like whatever age they are when I die, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. all, the, I mean, all the losses, you know, yeah, it brings yeah. us to think about the internal relationship because that's the, and it's interesting. I describe that to people like a trapeze, not that I've ever been on a trapeze, but I imagine if we're on a trapeze and we're holding that one bar, right. And that's our physical relationship with the person that we love. And then over there is that other platform and the other bar, and that's the internal relationship. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we have to jump. We have to let go of their physical presence in our life. And we're so afraid, will I have an internal relationship? Will there be something else? But there's the abyss in between. And so maybe your abyss has been kind of long, Paul. But, you know, that internal relationship, there's an opportunity now with your son to develop that, you know, the internal relationship where we... Um, and it's not an angel or anything like that. It's it's just that voice inside. It's the it's the part that we know about the person that we love. They're, they're in us. They're a layer of us, and um, it's such a special thing. But I was going to suggest to you that you know rituals are really a wonderful way um, to make that connection because it's in the abyss. And what I mean by that, like you know, with kids, making presents for 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 grandma. You know, um, mm. you know, drawing pictures of her, 
um, doing rituals, you know, on on her birthday or things like that. Those kinds of things um, are certainly ways that we can bridge that gap between letting go and the internal relationship that develops. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Thank you for um, yeah, and this and that reminder of the internal relationship because I think that there's part of what started to happen is there's a part of my internal life that's reawakening and I've made this connection like, Oh, this is what she gave me. And so I'm Mm -hmm. making this connection between being able to mourn and being able to embody this aspect of my personality. Um, And not just personality, but I think it's actually like essence, you know, that she passed Mm -hmm. down to me and it just seems like there's such a correlation between challenges I've had in the last few years and her specific endowment to me, (laughs) you know, that I, that Mm. I, that I couldn't access if I'm able to reawaken that inner relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'll set up some, some, I'll set up some little regular rituals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes suggestion, Bobby. Sometimes we can purposely, like you say, set up something, you know, create, you know, some kind of alterish kind of experience where um, we can pay attention in that way. It's just paying attention, you know, and it can. But with your son, it sounds so interesting that he's asking questions. I think Zara asked, you know, does he ask questions? Mm -hmm. And the thing about kids is that we've used this quote before, which is you, you invite them to dance, but you let them lead which means that you let them know that you can be present, which you're so present with, with your kids in other ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, But then you let them ask questions, you know, bit by bit, slowly, you know, whatever way they need to, you know. But I guess one of the things we have to teach our kids is about loss. You know, there's a, a famous book um, that talks about um, a, a child's dog dying and how the parents relate to that. And they say that this is an opportunity to teach our kids about death because mortality, you know, is right. It's real. Yeah. But you you don't want, you don't like, I, I'm not a parent, but I can assume and tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, that the last thing you want is for your kids to be in pain and to be sad. And you know, I remember the first time when I realized that my parents would die, I remember it so distinctly. I was so sad and I still think of it and it makes me sad. I still have that same feeling whenever I think about it. Like it, I have a frog in my throat even now just thinking about it. And so I can imagine as a parent, well, like, wow, you try to protect your kids from things. The whole thing you want to do is to make sure that they're okay and they feel good. So, you know, while we can sit here and say talking to them about death is important and it is, and it's part of life and you will have to at some point, I can also really understand not wanting to, cause it's, it's sad. You want, you don't want to take the, imagine how pure it is to live without knowing about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's this pure, like wonderful thing. So but it's have not to possible. Re- I understand, but I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just acknowledging the heaviness of it to have to mm-hmm. be responsible for bringing that reality into someone's life or you care about so much is, is big. And yes, we know you have to, but I just want to acknowledge for Paul, like it's hard. I'm sure it's really hard to, to do that. And knowing how badly it hurts to be on the receiving end of losing your parent. I mean, it's hard so just to convey empathy to you for, you know, maybe having not been able to have done that yet, it makes sense. Yeah, I think part of it is wanting to have a different answer, you know. Like, I remember mm-hmm. that moment, too, sure. when I came to my parents devastated. 
like knowing, learning about death and them. And I remember my mother saying like, I don't know. Like I asked her what happens and she said, I don't know. People believe this, people believe that. Mm -hmm. And when I remember it, I remember it being somewhat comforting. I don't know if it was because she was being honest, you know, but, but I remember my mind like kind of wandering around these possibilities that she was saying, like that other people believe. Um, but I guess I just, I, I guess I just had a different answer for my son. Like if I was a religious fanatic or something, I would be like, this is what it sure. is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's not, totally. that's Wouldn't not that be my nice? experience. <laughs> I know. It almost seems comforting though, to be able to be like, well, this is, I mean, you know what? You have all this to look forward to in the after. Like, <laughs> and when you don't have an answer, it's actually like it's kind of. Scary, you know what I mean? I feel like there would be so much comfort in, in being a really religious person and being able to kind of come to them with a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you don't know, it's tough. It's it's ambiguous for sure. Did you guys ever have a pet that died? Um, yeah, yeah, we've had a couple. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's. And there'll be more because we've got pets. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are those special. Yeah. Those are those special moments. <laughs> and maybe I yeah. should get him. He wants a, He wants all these like little rodents now for some reason. So maybe I should yeah. get him the those guinea guys pig are super and fast. W- these other little things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get one of those. Those only have like a couple of days. Um, <laughs> Paul, what we ask everybody as we draw to a close, although we could definitely talk to you all day long. Um, if you could have given yourself a piece of advice at the beginning of this experience, whenever the beginning is for you in this experience, um, what would that advice be? Um, I would have, I would say, Hey buddy, go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> just for me for me I, yeah, I, yeah. I really tended towards like hippie western uh amazon jungle healers and yeah. therapists but i just in my case it just happened to need it there i needed a psychiatrist you know what i mean like i, okay. I so mm-hmm. i i would that's the advice i would give just because for me i kept thinking i was yeah. doing it wrong or not trying hard enough or it was like the wrong you know, and I actually just needed a, a doctor. Right, 100%. <laughs> and that's not, that not just a doctor, yeah. but just like as a piece of the like support team. So I guess in, in oh, general, yeah. I would just say like, I would tell myself to be really open, more open to other kinds of support. Because I was really against psychiatry because like the new age perspective often is like not that, you know. A hundred percent. But I think it's important to acknowledge uh, like what you kind of just said, like the branching out, whether whether you're someone who's just Western medicine. Right. And you're like, no, I'm only like I'm pro psychiatry and I'm pro Western medicine or whatever. Or you're the opposite. It's like to to expand your mind about all of the different avenues for healing and integrated grief is really. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. For sure. Well, we have one other segment on our processing that we just uh, came up with, which is it's been such a pleasure to be with you today. You and Zara have shared meals together, but we three have never shared a meal. So if we were to have an imaginary meal right now and we could each bring something to the table, what would we bring so we could sit down and, and share a meal together? 
I have to start off by saying, Bobby, I feel very strongly that we've done this like four weeks now. You cannot bring soup. Soup is out is outlawed for you. Some Paul, you can bring soup if you want, Bobby. You are forbidden from bringing soup. Well, soup season is over, so okay. I think I'm going to bring what I'm going to make for dinner tonight, which is I'm okay. going to make um, lettuce cups filled with um, a stir fry of chicken and pignoli nuts and water chestnuts and shiitake. Ooh. And wonderful spices. So that's what I'm going to make. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Um, I will bring a double baked stuffed potato. Oh, yummy. How about that? Yum. That sounds amazing. I just brought that back from my childhood. So. Um, (laughs) That sounds so good. I love double baked stuffed potatoes. I'm going to have to make Me too. Um, Let's make doubles on that one. <laughs> okay. I'm going to bring something that I know Paul likes, which we made for Christmas Eve, which is fried chicken. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to bring fried chicken and biscuits, and we're going to have a very eclectic and delicious and very chickeny meal. <laughs> two chicken dishes. Um, very starchy, but that's the thing about this dream meal is that there's no rules. But mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds delicious. Ooh, twice baked potatoes. You put cheese in there? Anything. Cheddar cheese? Ooh, maybe some broccoli (laughs) sounds really good paul this was so lovely and wonderful and just special and thank you guys so much really thank you it was really really sweet and special Mm. you know i was just um kind of struck by the fact when we were talking about because i really have attached to the the imagery of you going to this hibachi restaurant and being told to wake up like i it's one of those stories i'll take with me forever and i might even ask your permission to use it in a script someday because i was just wake like, up this is so incredible but what what our listeners don't know is that at the beginning of each episode uh, when we begin recording so that we can, our engineer can uh, mark when the recording starts, we're asked to clap. And like, because you like, you know, how you started off talking about like this being kind of an important and healing thing for you. I would, I wonder about the significance of the clapping and the starting of this episode. And I hope for you that it sparks um, some kind of next chapter in the healing that you've described as wanting to kind of pursue. I think it so will. That's, I that love that. I'll give myself that. a little clap when I need it. Yes, clap. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Clap for yourself when you need it. And thank you for, um, really thank you for your, not only joining us, but for your kind words about how, um, this show has affected you as a listener and also as a participant, because, um, it, it means a lot to us to know that it has that, effect you know I mean, grief is such a um can be such a scary and singular feeling experience but it really is one of the only things that we all have in common as human beings you know is that we will experience grief and loss in our life and so to know that like um this is having the desired impact on people uh, is really nice to hear and thank you so much for for being with us. And I can't wait to see you again and share a meal. I know. That'll be great. That'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm coming too. Great. Okay, cool. Okay. All right, Paul. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. 
Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.